You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Well, the draft is officially complete. That day three grind is uh, pretty intense. It's funny because whenever I do those, or prior to the streams, it's like, dude, we're going to do all three days, and maybe don't be such a baby because it's not going to be that bad. I think I finally figured out why day three is so tough, and it's not really because I don't care as much about those prospects. It's because it's seven freaking hours. <laughs> so that was that was quite a grind, man. But I uh, thank you to everybody that tuned into the live stream and kind of hung out with me. We had some fun, man. Talked a little football, talked some barbecue, had a conversation about different fish, talked a ton about the Rogers situation, got banned from YouTube for a little while, so that was cool actually booted my live stream for like a minute because I was playing everybody highlights. I figured, why not? Let's watch some highlights. But uh, YouTube didn't like that so much because there were somebody else's videos on YouTube that I was streaming on my YouTube stream. I mean, I guess it checks out. I'm just saying. it's uh, Come on now. Give me, give, me, give me a little something here. But uh, the draft is concluded, and, and surprisingly, I don't know if it's the whole Aaron Rodgers saga that's kind of brought everybody together, but most Packer fans seem really happy with it, and that does surprise me a little bit. Not because I'm not happy with it, just usually there is a corner of Packers Twitter that just likes to complain, just constantly likes to complain. And a lot of them tend to agree with what the national media says, which is draft a wide receiver in the first round or you failed. But I haven't seen them. I'm sure they're out there. Maybe it's just because I've spent most of my time um, streaming and staying off Twitter that I haven't seen it, but I just haven't really seen it. All right, I think I finally figured out what's wrong with the microphone, so hopefully... (laughs) Hopefully you didn't turn it up too loud, and now I'm just blasting your face off. This uh, software likes to just mess with me sometimes. I tell something wasn't right, and uh, there we go. Anyways, I will say this. Um, I want you to just remember that however it is you feel about the draft, just keep feeling that way. Stick by your guns. If you didn't like it, I'm not mad at you. But as I've been saying consistently, just make sure it's for the right reasons. It better not be because so-and-so gave us a bad draft grade. The Packers always get bad draft grades, and they always draft better than everybody else, making the media look stupid. I mean, it's, it's really easy to do. I'm planning on doing some, some videos of recaps of the draft and whatnot and kind of going through the teams and my thoughts on them. Um, but the grades are pretty simplistic because it's all based on what we thought we knew prior to it. it it's really what it's based on is who followed the media's board the best or the media's advice the best. Because it's based on how highly we had these guys ranked and how much, you know, our assessment of your needs and what you should do first, second, third. And if you followed our advice the best, then you got the best grades, which I guess is fair if you want to call it that. It's also fair to, to, to if we assume that you're drafting based on how, fo- how well you followed my advice. But the problem is when a lot of fans look at it and say, this is based on how good of a job they did. No, that's not really it. It's, it's how well they followed our advice. Last year, for example, the Dallas Cowboys via Sports Illustrator were the only team that got an A+. CeeDee Lamb, the 17th overall pick, was the only guy that graded out as good in the entire draft class. He was the 17th overall pick, and he wasn't even the best wide receiver in the class. He was the 10th best wide receiver. Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, Isaiah Zuber, Tyree Cleveland, T. Higgins, Chase Claypool, Colin Johnson, DeMichael Harris, Donovan Peoples-Jones all graded out higher. Some of these guys didn't play very much, but Justin Jefferson did. Brandon Ayuk did, T. Higgins did, Chase Claypool did. Not saying it's a bad pick, but I mean, that, that, that's how well the, the media's expectations lined up with how it actually panned out. Uh, Trayvon Diggs was average, Neville Gallimore was bad, Reggie Robert Robinson was, was pretty, actually I don't know if he even played, Tyler Biotish was bad, and then Bradley and I played like six snaps, Ben DiNucci, the quarterback, obviously didn't play. So that's what amounts to an A+. Arizona got a B+, largely because of Isaiah Simmons, who was a bust. Now, again, he could be good, but, I mean, complete bust. The uh, Baltimore Ravens were given an A-, minus, largely because of Patrick Queen, who, again, worst linebacker in football. Denver Broncos got an A-, minus. Um, drafted Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, let's see, where is Jerry Judy on this list of wide receivers that are rookies? He ranks 18th based on grade. If we say minimum of 50 targets out of 12 wide receivers, Jerry Judy was 8th, K.J. Hamler was 12th. 
That's their number one and number two receiver that they drafted. 15th overall pick, and he was 8th out of 12. Their second round pick was 12th out of 12. Jerry Judy had a 65 overall grade. Lions got an A. Jeff Okuda was garbage. DeAndre Swift was decent. Not sure anybody else really contributed anything. So again, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Bleacher Report actually gave the Arizona Cardinals an A+, which is just hilarious. The Packers, a D, obviously. Goes on to say, you know, basically because people should be starting right away. I think that's ideal, but again, it's it's not necessarily the reality, especially when you factor in who who does that happen for? The team should come away with one or two immediate starters, two or three part-time players, one who could become a starter, and three or four developmental players with upside. So obviously the complaint is uh, A.J. Dillon and Jordan Love aren't playing this year, therefore this was a terrible draft, with no consideration to how good they actually are. Turns out A.J. Dillon's pretty good. Also says Josiah DeGuara was really low on Matt Miller's board, so, you know, he's not going to be a starter, which if he didn't get hurt, that would have changed that narrative real fast because he was the starter. He was like the number two tight end on the team day one with no practice. Now, again, this doesn't mean the Packers draft is good. It could be a bust draft. They could all be terrible, or maybe there's like one or two that are kind of de- I mean, Gutekunst is due for a bad draft. He's been kind of on fire lately. I mean, we still have to see what some of these guys develop into. It's a little early for some of them, but I'm not disappointed with what we've seen so far from his draft picks. I think his worst overall draft was the one in which he had like two months to prepare and drafted the number one corner in the NFL. I think that was probably his worst draft so far. But again, if you like it or don't like it, base it on your own opinions of the players and the Packers' needs and leave it at that. Because I can tell you exactly what's going to happen as far as the reaction for the Green Bay Packers. Number one is going to be the boring, tired narrative and I, I, it's funny, I played a clip. I wanted to just play a highlight of, um, of Eric Stokes, and I, I stumbled on a video that was like a, a news thing. And immediately when they drafted him, the, the room erupted in laughter. As though, all oh, these stupid Packers did it again. I can't believe they didn't get a wide receiver. And it's, you know, again, these guys are not smart. And, and I guess maybe it's, you got to cut them some slack because they don't actually know much about these teams. Some of these guys are not they're really not very good at their jobs, which is to cover all 32 teams, which I'll admit is hard. I've got a draft channel on YouTube, and the amount of work it takes to really hone in on all these teams, basically, I start a draft, and I get crucified because of all the, and and some of it is is people just being rude for the sake of being rude because it's YouTube. Sometimes it's really good information. Like, you dummy, we actually picked up this guy. It's like, ah, oh, shoot, I forgot to check that. But over time, you slowly start to get honed in on what the team has done. You learn the makeup of the team, and the strengths and the weaknesses and, you know, this guy, oh yeah, stupid PFF said he had a bad grade. Look at him over the last half of the year. He's been great. And then I check and it's like, oh shoot, he has gotten really good. And maybe we don't want to replace him or find a compliment or whatever. But the Giants tell me we fired our offensive line coach and have been getting a lot better ever since. It's like, oh yeah, I guess so. Maybe, you know, I, I guess it makes sense to say we're going to wait and see how it goes with these guys because they're good players and just kind of had a bad stretch with a bad whatever or injuries or, you know, this guy was on IR, but he's coming back. There's so much to, to pay attention to. But you have to actually immerse yourself in it. Otherwise, what you end up doing is using media shorthand, which is you just kind of listen to generalized narratives about teams, and you just accept it and make that your opinion. Now, that doesn't require any amount of talent, but I think that's what a lot of these guys do. And they, they, I mean, you only have so much time in the day, so even if you do work hard at something, say you work hard at writing really good articles, but you don't really immerse yourself in spending a lot of time about really learning about these teams and really contemplating the DNA of the team and uh, really paying attention to what's going on on a daily basis for teams, then you end up just using shorthand. And, and I can tell you that's exactly what a lot of these guys do is they use a lot of shorthand. And they don't actually think it through. And so obviously the, the media shorthand, and I think this is where Packer fans are getting so fed up, is because the shorthand has become so incorrect and it's becoming annoying. But they just keep saying it. And you got some people who keep pushing it because it makes money and they like the controversy and they like the reaction from Packers fans. And then you got some people that are saying it because they literally don't know that it's wrong. And then when they come across an angry Packers fan base, they're like, geez, these guys are soft. <laughs> they won't even accept obvious realities that obviously all of us know because it's an insulated community and you look up to the blue check marks. It's kind of like school. You have people that go to college, professors tell them stuff, and then they go home and their parents are like, well, that's stupid. And it's like, oh, you think it's stupid? I went to college and these are professors. They would know they're not stupid like you. Like, no, it's just a guy who's stupid telling you stupid stuff that he learned from some other stupid stuff before when he went to school. It's a bunch of stupid people talking to stupid people about stupid stuff that's not real. But you believe it just because they're authorities. <laughs> there's no authorities. There's reality and then there's not reality. 
There's people with degrees and blue check marks that are stupid. They're really smart ditch diggers that never finished high school. So unless and until you find a person that is willing to do the work and look at and actually analyze the situation and say, look, I looked into the Packers situation. Here's my thought and here's why. Then you can take them seriously. But no, you don't. You, you have a bunch of media guys who look up to other media guys and they're like, oh, I know better than you. I write for NBC Sports. I think I would know. It's amazing to me how many people have actually think they're intelligent because of their status. It's like there's nothing in them that, that there's no little voice in the back of their head that's like, you know, maybe if we want to actually know something, we should put some work toward it. I mean, Twitter is, is a perfect example of that. Everybody's an authority on everything, and nobody really knows much about anything. How many years have you dedicated to this subject? How many hours? Thousands of hours? Hundreds of hours? Have you given it one hour? Have you read one book? Have you seen a single thing ever other than a biased documentary or what you hear on the news from biased people? Have, have you talked to an economist? Are you an economist? Do you know anything about anything? No, but I'm an authority. Because I'm 19 and I'm in college. Second year, actually. So the point is, we're going to be getting a lot of that. Ha ha, you idiots didn't get a wide receiver in the first round. You're so stupid. Uh, they drafted a corner just to make Aaron Rodgers mad. They waited until the third round for a wide receiver because they don't care. Also, there's going to be a whole lot of this draft was bad because they reached. That's the other part. The Packers, just like last year, although not quite as bad as last year. Last year, most of the picks were like two-round reaches. This year, they were consistently one round earlier than what the media said that they would go, for most of them. So when you put those two things together, we think the Packers should just draft wide receivers because that's their biggest need. And um, they drafted guys a little bit too early. You're going to get some bad grades. And there's going to be some bad press. Now, strangely enough, this Aaron Rodgers thing has kind of swept that under the rug. I think the media is, is far too interested in what's going on with Aaron Rodgers to even care about Brian Gutekunst and his drafting abilities. So we might get a slight reprieve, but just brace yourself for some more negative press. I've, I've, and, and the reason I say that is I've had several people reach out like, that was a really good draft. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy with it. And they're like, I, I wonder if the media is going to like cut us some slack this year because I think it was really good. And it's like, oh, oh, dude. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> they won't. Now, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I, that's sort of the general thing that I would think. Also, PFF, I know a lot of these guys didn't have super high grades, right? And we're, we'll go over some of the guys that we drafted, but PFF gave us a C-, minus, which obviously is not very good. They thought Eric Stokes was a third-round prospect. Uh, they said Myers has never earned a PFF grade over 75. They had Amari Rogers 128th on their board, so they said, well, they finally got him a wide receiver, but it's, uh, he's not that good of a wide receiver. They do like um, Gene Charles, though, which I think a lot of people are going to pump up Gene Charles. I've seen a lot of people in the media and elsewhere that are like, no, this guy's pretty legit. And, and, and because he is. His statistics are through the roof, which, again, uh, media shorthand, some guys, if you have high statistics, tons of sacks, tons of pass breakups, you're going to have probably a lot of guys like this guy. But he is extremely sticky. He was very, very talented. And PFF actually gave him a lot of high grades outside of also just having a lot of uh, statistics. So that's one that a lot of we'll probably get a lot of uh, love for. Although, as I begin combing through, Sports Illustrated, who gave us uh, not a great grade last year, said A-. minus. So, I, maybe, man. I don't know. I want you to brace yourself. And, and again, most importantly, who cares? It doesn't matter. Stick to your guns and trust that Brian Gutekunst and their staff know what they're doing, and they know what they're looking for. But, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm too pessimistic. I, don't, I can't remember ever the Packers getting an A- minus <laughs> draft grade. The media always hates our drafts. The Packers continue to put together a high-value draft board under Brian Gutekunst, who, despite being a target of his franchise quarterback ire, has an exceptional sense of where good players tend to fall. Dude, who wrote this article? Somebody acknowledges that he drafts well? This guy's about to get fired. What is your name, sir? Connor Orr. What do you do, homework or something? You better cool it, buddy. This guy over here paying attention. What's up with that? Eric Stokes is one of our favorite players of the draft, a, a corner with long arms who has an extensive experience against all SEC talent. Goes on to say the Amari Rogers pick was probably the most quintessential uh, Packers selection and at its core makes a lot of sense. Why waste valuable draft capital on a bell-of-the-ball type receiver who has his own preferences when everyone who succeeds with Aaron Rodgers does so after acclimating to his own preferences. Amari Rodgers isn't going to take as long to break in and his value will be seen early on. This guy better just cool it. He must be a Packer fan or something. I got to see what his Bears grades are and everybody else in the NFC North. No, he gave the Bears an A-, so I don't know. And yeah, he did give bad grades. I'm, I'm not just, he's, you know, Bengals got a C plus, so. There we go, New York Post with a C. 
again, complaining about the defense. Nine of the Packers' last 10 first-down picks are defense. The other is a backup quarterback, making Aaron Rodgers angry. Stokes better be more than a track star. That's basically, there's one more sentence about Myers, and that's it. Which, again, I mean, granted, these guys want to crank these articles out. I mean, the draft just ended, and they're coming out with grades. So, obviously, this is about speed and not accuracy. But, I mean, come on. You don't have one comment about anybody other than our first two picks? Come on. And then you got uh, DraftKings over here complaining that um, Eric Stokes is a press man corner who has to transition to zone, and we already looked at it. He primarily plays zone. He does play press man, and he can do it, but he primarily is plays zone, like most corners. Anyways, I'm not gonna sit here and just read draft grades. I'm just I'm just pointing out. I was expect I didn't expect to find one good grade, but you know what's funny about it? You notice how the most thorough analysis is the one that gave him a good grade. The ones with bad grades tend to just be the the most bitey, nonsensical things. The, I mean, the DraftKings one at least had some kind of analysis, but it was incorrect analysis. <laughs> I mean, it's like an it's an intelligent thing. Like, oh, wow, yeah, he's, he has to transition from man to zone. Oh, that's crazy. Except it's just, it's not accurate. But it was a good attempt at, at being thorough, and I appreciate that at least. So anyways, um, I want to go over the other prospects that we drafted. We're going to stick, kind of try to stay away from the Aaron Rodgers stuff because it really isn't all that much that's new. Um, and anything that is new is is, you know, we're getting into anything new that comes out is very iffy. So um, things have been coming up fast and furious, and if anything happens, there may be some emergency podcast type stuff. But as of right now, we're going to stick with these other additions. And look, we got some new Green Bay Packers, and there's every reason to get excited. Um, I watched one of the highlight videos on the stream, and I started to get real excited. We'll get there when we get there. But if you haven't watched much, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, at least at first, to just watch highlight reels. Just watch some highlight videos. And I know that's not a good way to do thorough analysis, but I'm not looking for thorough analysis. I want to get excited about the newest Green Bay Packers. As time goes on, maybe I'll throw on a couple, you know, a couple games and just see how it goes. Uh, but one of the things I do want to do, for those of you who want to try to transition from highlights to game film, I'll give you some of their better games so that you can watch them at their best and then we'll kind of work our way down. How does that sound? But the full draft class is thusly. With the 29th overall pick, the Packers took Eric Stokes, absolute freak cornerback, and the eventual replacement for Kevin King. As I've said, you got to be patient. And the reason I say that is because I, 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 I can predict the future. And what's in the future is week one, Kevin King and Jair Alexander are going to start on the field, and Eric Stokes will not. And Packer fans are going to say, bust, bust pick, terrible pick. How can you not replace Kevin King? He's so bad. <laughs> now, it's not, it's not a guarantee. If Eric, Stark, Eric Stokes starts, that is a massive indi- endorsement, not indictment, endorsement of Eric Stokes, because that's not my expectation. Because it's not just about raw talent and ability. Again, it's about understanding. And we saw last year talented people not start very much. Kamal Martin hardly played. A.J. Dillon barely played. The Packers want to be able to trust you. If you don't know what you're doing, you don't go out there. And they're willing to be patient. Now, we'll see what happens if the whole Aaron Rodgers thing falls apart. Maybe they're getting a little bit desperate and say, just get out there. You know, we got to start throwing some Hail Marys here. I mean, maybe literally. I don't know. But just be patient. They're very excited about Eric Stokes. And um, they're willing to take their time to really groom them and get them ready so that they know that they're prepared. And then, you know, just we'll see what happens. But 100,000%, Kevin King will go bye-bye and Eric Stokes will be his replacement. It's kind of like the whole Jordan Love, he didn't even win the number two job. Didn't he? Because where's the other guy? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not here anymore and Jordan Love is, is now the quarterback. Sounds like he won the job to me. With the 60, uh, 62nd overall pick in the second round... The Packers selected Josh Myers, center out of Ohio State. As I mentioned, um, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast. Actually, I think I mentioned it on the podcast without any knowledge, and then I talked about it on the stream. But one of the things I mentioned uh, yesterday is the fact that they traded up for Amari Rodgers kind of signaled to me that, you know, it's possible Amari Rodgers was not that big of a difference behind Josh Myers. Maybe they had Josh like two or three pegs ahead of, of Amari Rodgers. So, as these other guys are going and Amari keeps falling, they're like, dude, we got to go up and get him. As it turns out, they were basically 1A and 1B. When that pick came around, they were trying to decide, should we pick Josh Myers or should we pick Amari Rodgers? They ultimately decided on Josh Myers with offensive line being a bigger need than wide receiver. Let me say that again. The Packers felt it was a bigger need than wide receiver. So they went with Josh Myers. But immediately after they got off the phone, they tried to trade up and get him. And that's important too, because there's a lot of talk about how they overpaid. Now, technically speaking, they did overpay. They overpaid based on where they moved. 
But you got to understand, they would have been willing to draft him in the second round. So they thought he was a good value at 62. So again, they, they gave up a pick that they feel is more than enough. In, uh, the combination of, um, of picks that they gave up is, is a fantastic value for Amari Rodgers, is what they think. Because again, even though they moved up to 85, which they should have been able to move up higher with those picks, the reality is they thought he was a good value at 62. You kind of following me here? Another way to say it would be, it's a bad value for that pick number. It's a great value for the player. Which again, brings us to number 85 overall, the Green Bay Packers select Amari Rogers, wide receiver out of Clemson. Again, we already kind of talked about these guys, so I'm not going to go in depth on them. You can listen to my podcast yesterday to kind of get more thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. But then we start off round four, pick number 142 with another offensive lineman, Royce Newman. And it's kind of funny because at 6'6", 310, I'm, I'm looking at this guy who um, played tackle in 2020. So he was seen as a tackle. In fact, most of his snaps came at right tackle. My, my first thought was, well, you know, he'll, he'll sit because we kind of got this line more or less figured out. And, um, you know, I just don't really expect much, especially from a tackle. You know, I don't think he's going to take Billy Turner's spot. He's certainly not going to take Bakhtiari's spot. Doesn't even really have that much experience at left tackle. But in reality, this is a fourth-round pick. We got guys that are presumably starting right now that are that are going to be, you know, sixth-round picks. This is a guy who has a, a the potential, possibly, of starting for the Green Bay Packers as a right tackle, kicking Billy Turner to the interior. So then we would have, eventually, Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, Billy Turner, and then Royce Newman at right tackle. It's also possible that he plays inside. We keep Billy Turner outside, and Royce Newman is in the competition for the right guard spot. Right guard, he has 180, uh, 138 snaps of experience. He has 758 at left guard and then 79 at left tackle. Uh, they, they talked a decent amount about how they really like how, you know, Billy Turner can play four positions along the offensive line, similar to Royce Newman, and obviously Elton can play all five. But, um, you know, again, there's no guarantee he plays, but I think even I sort of underestimated his potential. Again, we got six-round guys that were like, oh yeah, they should definitely start. This is a fourth-round prospect. Now, it's, it's possible he doesn't play right away, and I don't know that a fourth-round guy, especially with an offensive line largely in place, you should expect him to start. But I also don't think we should uh, completely pass over the prospect that this guy could be a, a legit starter, whether it be on the interior or as our, our right tackle going forward. I mean, our, our left tackle, our Hall of Fame caliber left tackle is a fourth-round pick also. Just throwing that out there. Um, in terms of his, his grades and whatnot, he, he you know doesn't grade out all that fantastic. As I said, he actually did better his first two years, but when he became a, a real starter was in 2019. In 2019, uh, as a primarily a guard, 758 snaps at left guard and uh, 138 at right guard. 60 overall grade, 57.8 run blocking, 60 pass blocking. In 2020, it did get a little bit better. He moved over to right tackle got a 71 run blocking grade, 64 pass blocking. Now, I don't know if that's just he gained a year of experience or maybe he's just more natural at right tackle. It's entirely possible. Um, again, it, it's it's obvious the Packers aren't just drafting based on grade. There were much higher graded players and offensive linemen and guys with better stats and everything. But, you know, the, the thing that's cool is Matt LaFleur is being given the opportunity to really build this offensive line his way. And that's going to take some time. But, I mean, he, he got, you know, Elton Jenkins in free agency. They got Billy Turner. And then they got like three six-round picks. But, um, you know, the, the offensive line doesn't really have Matt LaFleur's... Eh, I don't know if I want to say it that way. That's going to sound weird. I'll just say his his structure or something. I don't, you know. Fine. Matt LaFleur's DNA. All right? There. But And, and that's, the, that's the fun thing about it. You know, there's, a, there's grades on a general sense, and there's certain things. But the, the great thing about these picks is you know that these are perfect fits for what the Green Bay Packers want their offensive line to look like. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good players, but they have checkboxes, and they're looking at it saying, we need a guy that can do this, 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 this. There's a certain guy out there that looks like this, he moves like this, he plays like this, he has an attitude like this. All these things are exactly what we want in a Green Bay Packers guard tackle center. And when they draft a guy like this, he fits that criteria. This is a Matt LaFleur offensive lineman, and that's kind of cool. Um, as far as his statistics, as far as true pass sets, again, meaning just more realistic statistics, not phony stuff, two sacks, four hits, five hurries, 11 total pressures on the season. If you want to go back and watch, you know, any of his tape, 
Uh, his highest graded game was actually the the last game he played against Indiana, which is something else to, to keep in mind. And I want to kind of track this as I kind of move forward because I didn't really think about it until now. That was a, that's a bowl game. So Ole Miss and Indiana played in a bowl game and that was his highest graded game. Didn't give up a single sack or hit, did have one hurry in that game. So if you want to check out his best game, that was it. If you want to see the games in which he gave up um, sacks, check out Mississippi State. One sack, one hit, one hurry. Three pressures is the worst that he gave up in terms of total um, total pressures. Also gave up a sack against Arkansas, but he also that was his second highest graded game, so he did really well but gave up one sack. His lowest graded was Auburn, just if you want to check that out. He actually is statistically didn't do that bad, but he got graded very lowly. Uh, as a pass blocker, that is. Very lowly. I say what I say. As far as his run blocking ability, obviously he's a zone heavy guy, like most of these guys are. 62% zone, 32% uh, power. If you want to see him at his best as far as run blocking, check out Arkansas. Second highest was, again, Indiana, the, the bowl game. So definitely want to check that one out if you just want to watch him at his best. Fantastic game, uh, him uh, as far as, you know, every facet. But we'll see. Uh, the, uh, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst had talked about, you know, what what is your vision for these guys? And more or less, the the what they were saying is, look, we, we got a good group of guys, and we're going to kind of trust our offensive line coaches to really get them ready and uh, see where they fit best because they do have a lot of moving pieces. So see where everybody's at and how quickly they're picking things up and what the best combination of five offensive linemen is, and we're gonna that's what we're going to roll out with. And the other cool thing is, regardless of who starts and who doesn't, the Packers now have some really good depth. And, and we're kind of in a situation where I think uh, Peter Bukowski said on Twitter is a pretty good observation saying you know if you watch that nfc championship game the two things that really killed us were offensive line depth and and cornerback play or db play or something to that effect and, and you can see in the draft there, there's a reflection of that you know they want to make sure we have better depth on the offensive line and they want to up the 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 cornerback play i guess uh in the fifth round pick 173 overall to daryl slayton i think he goes by tj because some people can't pronounce it probably like me i don't know exactly how you say it so from henceforth, I will try to remember to call him TJ Slayton, but I'm just excited about it because it's one of those like guilty pleasures that I've always wanted, even though I know it's not what the NFL is looking for necessarily. It's kind of like a, a big thumping linebacker, right? I know the NFL doesn't really care, but I just like a guy that's just going to take a guy's helmet off. You know, the, the slot receivers, the, the shifty sort of 2-2 Atwell, Amari Roger type receivers, although Amari isn't, you know, he kind of breaks that mold a little bit. But I, I just I just like it because it's flashy. The other one that I've always wanted is a big 6'5", 340-pound nose tackle. I understand the NFL, you know, it, it's it's they're kind of getting away from that a little bit. But I just like it. I want a guy that's just in the middle of the field that, uh, you know, best of luck running the ball. And that's it. And they did that. They went out and got uh, Tadaryl T.J. Slayton. Um, again, the grades aren't fantastic, but it's, it's kind of a weird thing where it was good and got worse. His grades in order actually went 79, 72, 70, and 68. So I don't exactly know what to make of that. I'm sure the Packers had conversations with him and, and kind of got to the bottom of maybe what happened. But the other interesting thing about it is that his pass rush actually got a little bit better. And that's that's the cool thing about TJ is he's a 340-pound nose tackle, so you have no expectation of his pass rush ability. Just generally none. That's not what you're here for. But he kind of has some pass rush ability. Um, he had 12 pressures on 124 attempts in 2019, which is pretty close to 10%. 19 pressures on 261 attempts, which I think is like 7%, which is not bad for a nose tack. Um, he does have some athletic ability, which is great, not just for pass rush, but, you know, in zone and whatnot, you got to kind of get on your horse and be able to beat guys. You know, it's it, there is an element of speed to being a defensive tackle, and he, he seems to have that even at a big size. But uh, obviously his his run defense is, is why we drafted him. But 2020, 19 pressures, two sacks, eight hits, and nine hurries. He had 22 tackles. 10 assists and 8 missed tackles, which is, is really high. And again, that's another thing that, I mean, he didn't do that earlier. He had zero missed tackles in his first two years. He had three in 2019. He had eight this year. So, I mean, his tackling grades went from 77 to 81, 67 to a 36. So, again, it's kind of weird stuff. It, it's, 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 you know, the talent is there somewhere, but for some reason, things just kind of started to deteriorate with him. And, I mean, that could be as simple as, you know, like when you look at Jordan Love. The supporting cast around him fell apart, and things went south. I'm not saying I know that's the case. I'm just saying there, there, there's an explanation, and I don't know what it is. Uh, his stops did go up quite a bit. Went from 8 to 11 to 13 to 18 stops. Again, negative plays for the offense. I haven't really talked about special teams with any of these guys because I check it, and there's nothing to see there. So if, if anybody has any attributes there, I'll be sure to mention it, but uh, there's there's nothing here. But again, it's and the other, the other 
point that I'll make about it is he's a fifth-round prospect, but there's sort of a ceiling for a guy that's 6'5", 340. If, if all you really are is a run defender, you're, you're probably not going to go much higher than the third round. So fifth round isn't as bad as it seems. And plus it's, it's defensive line, which is a, a position that gets rotated a ton anyways. So the cool thing is we know TJ is going to be on the field unless he's just terrible. It'll probably start off real slow. Maybe you won't even see him in week one. Again, people will complain about it. But eventually he'll start getting his, his way worked onto the field. And the question is, is there going to be a point where he's on the field a lot? Or is he just going to continue to be like a lot of the defensive linemen we've been drafting where he's out there once in a while, uh, but very rarely, and then eventually he just goes bye-bye. Because to be fair, the Packers have not done a great job of, of working on this defensive line. They haven't put a ton of resources into it. Like Kingsley Kiki, they took a swing at you know, some mid-round guys, and, and it just doesn't seem to be working out all that well. But hopefully we get a little bit from TJ here. Then in the fifth round, pick 178, the Packers selected Shamar Jean Charles, cornerback out of Appalachian State. As somebody pointed out on the stream, I actually talked about but um, let me actually play that for you because it's kind of fun. It's a, it's a semi-funny story, but I also kind of go down the, the rabbit hole of, of talking about this guy prior to drafting him, which is kind of fun, you know? You don't realize when you're talking about him that you're talking about a future Packer, but uh, here is that uh, little tidbit. Got a draft question from Jonathan Bry, Bray, Bree, I don't know. Do you think that Gutekunst will go after a cornerback from Appalachian State and get Sean Jolly in the NFL draft this year. So I, I'd never heard of Sean, Sean Jolly, so I went down like a rabbit hole. And this is actually kind of funny. So I thought he was talking about two different guys. Is he going to get the corner from Appalachian State and get Sean Jolly? And I'm like, this is a super random question, but uh, let's dig into it. So I'm like, all right, who's the guy from Appalachian State? So I searched the big board, and there's only two guys from App State. One of them is a corner, and I said, oh, there he is, Shamar Jean Charles. Let's check the guy out. So I looked at him. Turns out he's actually pretty good. 5'11", 190 pounds. He's played uh, four years but two full years at App State. Um, His grades are decent. I mean, 66, 74, 76, and 83. So he's gone up every single year, really broke out in in his final year in 2020, and really has not ever been bad. His coverage grades have been fantastic the last three years, and actually the reason he really broke out this past year is that his run defense and tackling grade also went through the roof. On 52 targets, and this is this is remarkably low, on 52 targets, he's only allowed 17 receptions, which is less than a third. He allowed less than 200 yards, 198, two touchdowns, a pick, and 16 pass breakups for a passer rating of 50.0. 16 pass breakups. He had nine the year before. So this guy's something else. Now, again, I, I, this isn't the greatest competition in the world, but he clearly stands out at this level if we look at where he's expected to be drafted at this particular point in time and it looks like he kind of came onto the map around uh what would this be february it's kind of funny if you look at the uh if you track these guys you can kind of see there's a big spike in other words they weren't even on the list nobody ever knew their name and then boom they're suddenly on the list but he's tracked pretty consistently around 250 his peak was 231 uh right now he's sitting at 254 overall so we're kind of looking at, uh, you know, late round, possibly undrafted free agent type, or maybe just this is one of those guys that really isn't getting picked up by the, the draft media, and he could go, you know, round four. I don't know. But uh, 5'11", 190, playing for a small school is probably the biggest thing that's going to push him down. Um, obviously, I can't comment on his tape because I have not watched him. I could, I could, let me see if I can find the guy. All right, so I did get to watch a little bit. Um, nothing on my little database thing here, but I found a couple clips of him on uh, YouTube, Found watched him against Marshall. Obviously, that's not a full scouting breakdown, but I will say I like the guy because he's very Jair-esque. He's a smaller guy that's real quick twitchy and very violent. He likes to hit. He likes to tackle. He likes to talk. He got a late hit out of bounds penalty, like, first quarter, <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I, I like the guy. Now, the interesting part of the story here in terms of this question is that after I did all this little assessment that I did, I'm like, all right, let's check out who Sean Jolly is. Sean Jolly is a corner for App State. <laughs> so I think that's who he was talking about. So there you go. You got, uh, you know, somebody hit on that question more or less and a little bit of a breakdown on it as well. So it's, it's fun because not only have I talked about him, which I'm sure I've brought up these guys' names at different points in time, but... It's kind of cool that it was a random name, and I looked in and I was like, dude, I like this guy. For sure I like this guy. I just wish I would have remembered that I liked the guy, so I could have been pulling for him in the draft and then got excited when they drafted him. But I didn't remember because, you know, 
I just don't remember stuff. Anyways, uh, in the sixth round, pick 214 overall, Cole Van Lannen, tackle guard out of Wisconsin is how he's listed here, although he's never played anything but tackle, but that is kind of how he's seen as a tackle guard. Again, I just think it kind of fits in that line of there's always potential. I think the fact that he's probably going to be a guard means he's probably going to have to be developmental. I mean, he's never played guard. I mean, maybe in, in, although I doubt it. I doubt in high school he played guard. If he's that good and that big in high school, he's going to play tackle, but... I mean, it, it's just, it, it's going to take some time to develop him if the plan is to move him to guard. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's just kind of cool because it's like, we got such a big pile. So now we've gotten fourth, four guys in the sixth round at this point who are offensive linemen, including last year's three, one of which we know can come in at least as a solid backup. And we got three others that we haven't really seen much of. We got one guy that's a full-time center that we haven't really gotten a chance to see. We got another guy that uh, was out most of the year with injury, COVID, whatever it was. I don't remember, but he didn't play very much. Now you got Cole Van Lannen. And by the way, Cole Van Lannen graded actually quite well. Um, his grades, uh, he basically started in 2018. He played in 2017 as well. But starting in 2018, 90, 72, and 81 are his overall grades. Better run blocker than pass blocker, but uh, never bad at anything. His worst grade in any category in any year was a 65 pass blocking grade in 2019. Gave up one sack, zero hits, two hurries this year. Um, last year, which was a full year, five sacks, four hits, and six hurries. But again, if they're going to move him to guard, it's probably going to take some time, and they're going to kind of coach him up and train him up and see if he can be a really solid guard in the NFL. Um, but in the meantime, I mean, he's just he's a fun developmental guy that maybe can become something. We've taken so many swings at offensive line, you just feel a, a level of comfort. I mean, there's two different kinds of comfort. There's We've got really good starters, and we've got really good depth. At the Packers' best, they had both. You know, back when, uh, I don't know, you know, TJ Lang was like a backup. He basically had starters as backups. I don't know that our top-end talent is quite as good as it has been in the past. we got to see how some of these guys develop. But I, at the very least, feel very comfortable with the amount of depth that we have that we're not going to be in a position necessarily. Uh, again, we got to see how these guys develop. But I don't expect to be in a position where one or two injuries pop up and we're doomed. Now, tackle is always tough, right? Without David Bakhtiari, do we really have... Because you need to have a high-level talent or it can just ruin your entire your entire team. But I don't know. I, I, I like it, and I'm feeling good about it. And again, he grades out real well. He plays for a great program as far as offensive line goes, and um, we'll see how it goes. we got a lot of guys to start rooting for. Then at 220 overall in the sixth round, we get linebacker Isaiah McDuffie out of Boston College. Grades out horribly, <laughs> as you would expect. But I, I, this is the one we, we watched the highlights, and this is the one I ended up getting banned on, I think. i tell you what, I like the guy a lot. I, again, it's a highlight reel. So I don't expect to, you know, I, I do expect that if I watch his game tape, it won't be as good. But I can tell you confidently, I've watched highlight reels of guys and just thought, this is garbage. Like, if this is as good as it gets, this is your highlight reel, you suck. And I, and that that happens actually a lot. I, I, there are constantly times where you watch highlight reels and it's like, this guy is not very good. I really liked what I saw from Isaiah McDuffie. So uh, they got him listed at 6'1", 224. Uh, he had a 39 overall grade in 2020. Um, his best grade ever was uh, 2018, 65 overall. In 2020, he had a 45 run defense grade, 72 tackling, 62 pass rush, 36 in coverage. So horrific run defense, horrific coverage, mediocre pass rusher, and a good tackler, which did show up in the highlights. As, as small as he is at 224, he does a good job of, of blasting through some people. So clearly, he has the tools, but you have to assume this is a developmental guy because even at Boston College, he's got all the tools, but he's not hes not grading out very well. Um, did have 12 pressures and three sacks in 2020 on 80 attempts. He had 77 tackles, 22 assists, and 15 missed tackles. 39 stops, which was pretty high. In coverage, 29 receptions on 34 targets for nearly 400 yards. He gave up three touchdowns, had a pick and one pass breakup. So again, not great. 132 passer rating when targeted. But whatever, just go watch some highlights and it'll be a little bit more exciting. Obviously, his his path begins on special teams and, and, and with his speed. I mean, especially if you get a guy that's really fast and is a good tackler, that's a prime gunner, in my opinion. All right, just be really fast down the sideline, get down to where the punt is and wrap a guy up and tackle him. I think he's he could be a special gunner. Will he ever break, you know, the 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 defensive starting role? I don't know. I mean, I again, I'm a huge fan. Um, for stupid reasons, but I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride that as long as I possibly can. Uh, special teams grades, he's just average across the board, so he doesn't really do a ton, but again, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. If you want to see his best game, um, unfortunately, there isn't much. Syracuse is the only really good game he had, but he only played nine snaps. He didn't play much that game. 
His highest graded game the entire year was against Georgia Tech. He had a 67 overall grade, so not very good. Um, him at his worst, Louisville, 35 overall grade. Virginia Tech, 38 overall grade. Clemson, 46. So pretty much against the, the it's almost in order of the worse the team, the better he does. Notre Dame, 48. Pittsburgh, 49. North Carolina, 50. Texas State, 50. Virginia, uh, 51. Duke, 64. Georgia Tech, 67. So, you know, it's a, it's a tale of, 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 of two McDuffies. If you're able to find his game, he didn't have a single good game in 2019 either. It's pretty brutal. But if you're able to find him in 2018, which I would doubt, but if you can see his game against Purdue in 2018, it's the only game in which he had a 70 overall grade in three years. You know, he had 26 snaps, but, you know, it's, it's the best I can do for you if you want to go watch him. And then finally, we got Kylan Hill running back out of Mississippi State. And as I said on the stream, I always, always, always get excited about running backs, man. I, I've, it's like a tradition. Late round running backs, I love them. When we took um, Aaron Jones and, uh, and Jamal, I was super excited. I loved those guys. I wrote up an article and did a huge breakdown, and it was a lot of fun. But one of my favorite guys in the entire draft class was seventh round pick Devontae Mays. I loved that guy. And um, I really thought he could do something special. Unfortunately, I think this is the guy that fumbled like four out of his five carries or something crazy. So he didn't get many opportunities. Um, also out of Utah State, interestingly enough. But um, yeah, man, I, I can dig some late round running backs. Plus, I mean, you still get top running backs from 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 good schools. I mean, I guess that's the case with everybody. I mean, Cole Van Landen was a top tackle at a top school. But I don't know. It's just it's not hard for me to uh, to really start to like a running back, and I didn't watch a ton of Kylan Hill because after that stream, I was just done, and I had to go say hello to my family. I also had an interview to do after that, and then, you know, so I think I watched like one highlight while I was laying in bed halfway passing out, so I'll have to watch more of that, but 5'11", 210, grades are solid, but again, 2020 fell off. Um, it's almost like the Packers are kind of taking advantage of that. Like, he didn't have a great 2020, but I don't care about 2020, but uh, t- 2017 on is grade 74, 80, 83, and then 69. Not a fantastic blocker, especially pass blocking is extremely bad. Um, receiving grades uh, actually were only good in 2020. So he's average to subpar until 2020, and that really blew up. It was actually a higher grade than his running grade. He had uh, 23 receptions on 27 targets, so 85% caught, 234 yards, 10.2 yards per reception, and a touchdown. They also motioned him out in the slot quite a bit. Uh, they didn't do that much, 6%, 2%, 1%, and then the 2020, 12%, 12.5% of the time, he actually lined up in the slot. 9.8 yards after the catch per reception, 2.36 yards per route run. His longest reception was 75 yards, only 4.2 drop percentage, which is now it was 20, 12, 10, and then 4.2, so his hands got a lot better. And uh, as far as contested catches, he's one for one, 100%. So pretty solid there. But uh, as a runner... Uh, this past year, and again, it was a it was a condensed year, so it doesn't really matter. So I'll look at 2019. Um, 243 attempts, 1,348 yards, 5.5 yards per attempt, 10 touchdowns, not a single fumble, 3.05 yards after contact per attempt, 61 missed tackles forced, which is just wild. Um, he's kind of a bulldog, man. I've I've seen him break several tackles, just kind of you know slipping through those arm tackles and whatnot. 62 yards was his longest run, 40 uh, carries over 10 yards, which is just a crazy stat. That's a huge number. 23 breakaway one runs over 15 yards, 74.8 elusiveness rating. And as far as tape, if you want to watch him at his best, um, by far Southern Miss in 2019, week two, 14 carries, 123 yards, 8.8 yards per attempt and a touchdown, nine missed tackles forced in that game, which was tied for the most that year. Four carries out of 14 were over 10 yards. Um, some other really good games, Arkansas, Abilene, Kentucky, uh, those are all really solid. The only games in which he graded out poorly, his worst game was a 52, so he never had any brutally bad games, but uh, LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee were down in the 50s. Anyways, uh, we haven't even taken a break yet. This is kind of a late break, but we're gonna, I got to get going pretty quick here. So we're going to take a break, and then we're going to look at a couple undrafted free agents, and then we, I got to get out of here. So we'll take a break. Uh, thank you again to everybody that donated on the stream. Venmo got my first Cash App donation, which is pretty wild. I thought that was a waste of time doing that. But uh, again, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. 
Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so the undrafted free agents we've got so far that I can find. We've got, uh, let's see, two defensive linemen, two offensive linemen, a safety, and a wide receiver. First up, we got the wide receiver, Bailey Gaither, six foot one, 182 pounds out of San Jose State. Guy's been in college for quite a long time. He's actually played five years at San Jose State. Grades out fairly well. His first year was his only year not doing super great, but um, after that, 66, 73, 67, and 78. Uh, so 2020 was actually his best year. He had 41 receptions, 725 yards, and four touchdowns, and a pretty condensed year, one, two, three, four, five, six. He only played seven games, got 725 yards and four touchdowns, 17.7 yards per reception. Um, he has a pretty big deep threat. The vast majority of his passes come on short passes. Usually it's a little bit more spread out, but 44, about 45% of his passes came between zero and nine yards. He had a 90 overall grade on those passes. Medium passes, 90.6 grade. Deep passes, though, is where he makes his money. 96 overall grade. Six receptions on 13 targets, 284 yards, and a touchdown, 47.3 yards per reception. His highest, highest, highest area of the field is deep center, 98.6 overall grade. Five receptions on seven targets, 246 yards and a touchdown. The deep middle of the field um, just kills it over there. Um, he actually grades out fairly well as a blocker, had a 73.8 overall grade. Again, a smaller competition, but it's not bad. Um, as far as special teams is concerned, he hasn't... Now, he did a little bit more this past year, and he graded out okay, 65 and 69 uh, for kick and punt returns, respectively. Five kick returns. I'm sorry, no, five punt returns. 37 yards, uh, 7.4 yards per attempt. Uh, also got safety Christian Uphoff out of Illinois State, six foot three, 195 pounds. Uh, really only played one year at Illinois State, but had an 81.2 overall grade, 76 run defense, 75 tackling, 72 pass rush, and 80 coverage. So there's literally nothing he didn't do well. 64 passer rating when targeted. Uh, let's see, he gave up two touchdowns, had two picks, and eight pass breakups. Um, 20 receptions on 39 targets for 220 yards. If you want to check out some of his games, um, Illinois State versus Western Illinois, if you can find it, was his best game. Um, also, Eastern Illinois and Southern Illinois. So all the Illinois he did really, really well against. So again, it's going to be hard to find those games, but if you can find them, uh, he's number 24 safety out of Illinois State. Looking at the defensive line, folks, you got edge rusher Carlo Kemp, six foot three, 286 pounds. Uh, again, five years at Michigan. His first two years didn't really super count because they didn't play very much. Starting in 2018, though, 67, 73, 69 overall grades. Pass rush seems to be his best asset, although it's not his run defense isn't super far behind. Um, pressure percentages, 13 out of 183, 21 out of 269, and 11 out of 183. Doesn't seem like he ever really gets close to 10%, you know, 7-ish percent maybe. Not going to do the math. But in 2020, 11 pressures, 2 sacks, 5 hits, and 4 hurries. Um, his special teams grades are below average. Packers also got Jack Heflin. He played for Northern Illinois and then transferred to Iowa. He actually had very good special teams grades, um, until he went to Iowa and then it, then it all fell, fell apart. But uh, a lot of potential there for a special teamer. He actually, even, even at Iowa, he had one game where he got an elite grade against Nebraska a, as a special teamer, which is pretty crazy. But um, again, three years at Northern Illinois, he had 64, 76, and 90 overall grade, transferred to Iowa and got a 72.8 overall grade, uh, 13 pressures on 159 attempts. So again, 8-ish, 9-ish percent, one sack, six hits, six hurries. Definitely more of a run defender than a pass rusher, which again, I'm fine with 6'4", 312, just another guy that's just going to sit there and clog up the middle, which, you know, the, the biggest weakness the Packers team had last year was run defense. So it doesn't, doesn't hurt to add a bunch of guys that can help in that category. Moving on, finally, to offensive line, we've got Johnny Capra out of Utah. Very unusual guy here because uh, really his only year that I can see that he played was 2017, and he played 74 snaps. So, I mean, this is, this is digging deep. 
So he was there from 2015, 16, 17, 18. Nothing in 2019 or 2020. Was a special teamer in 2016 and 2017. And then in 2017 was his only year on offense. He played one, two, three, four, five games. Two at left tackle, one at right guard, two at left guard. Uh, 73 overall pass blocking. I mean, this this is this is about as deep of a dive as you can find. But uh, he's got to be up there in age. Again, his first year playing was in 2015. This is beyond a long shot, but they're going to give him a shot, I guess. Then finally, team late, teammate of uh, John uh, Cole Van Lannan, John Dietzen. So Dietzen has spent four years at Wisconsin. Decent grade, 72-68. 58 was bad, but then 73.8 this final year. Uh, primarily a left guard, 1,404 snaps there, although he did play left tackle. That was the one year which he graded out pretty poor. So clearly he is a guard. But again, his grades as a guard, 72, 68, 73, um, and a decent pass blocker, much better than his run blocking, 73, 76, and 78. As far as his true pass sets in 2020, um, zero sacks, one hit, five hurries, six total pressures. Run blocking, um, actually played more power than zone, which is kind of a common Wisconsin thing, especially for a Wisconsin guard, but 42% zone and about 43% uh, gap. Actually, I was, I was wrong about that. Still had it sit to, seven, to 2017, but still about 50-50 zone and gap. Uh, if you want to see his best run blocking grades, you can check him out against Michigan in 2020. By the way, uh, zero sacks, zero hits, two hurries were his uh, true pass sets in 2020. Best pass blocking game would have been against Northwestern. His best overall game was against Michigan week 11, but 6-6, 319. And that's about it. That's all we got. These are the new uh, the new folks. Obviously, they they really were worried about the offensive line. That makes sense, and they did a lot to get that back up to, uh, to snuff. That's all I got for you right now. Um, we'll see what happens if there's any new news. But uh, again, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.